this is what we're doing today is actually uh, the second part of a, a three-part sermon series that we began actually last week. And so for those of you who were able to join us last week for our Easter service, we, we looked at John chapter 20 um, and the, uh, the first appearances of Jesus to his disciples after he'd been risen from the dead. Um, and so this series, what we're doing uh, between last week, this week and, and next week to come is we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus and the aftermath, what, what happened after this. Um, and so today we're focusing on what was the, the third appearance of, of Jesus to his disciples. And what we're going to find from this passage this morning is that uh, this reveals three aspects or three uh, relational ways that Jesus relates to us. And this is first, firstly, that Jesus is our friend, that Jesus is our Lord, and thirdly, that Jesus is our provider. And so we're going to be focusing on those three aspects of the Lord's relationship to us this morning as we look at this passage. So we pick up basically where we left off last week, uh, where we ended last week. And if you remember um, last week, I said how the first Easter, it did not begin with rejoicing and hosannas and he is risen, but actually with the disciples huddled down in fear. And I mentioned that they were, they were self-isolating. Uh, they were locked down in their house and they were practicing social distancing. Um, we read from the passage last week that Jesus appeared to um, his disciples in a house. And the first time he appeared, Thomas was not with them, one of the disciples. And when they relayed to Thomas that they'd seen the risen Lord, Thomas uh, reacted like probably many of us would today and said, I don't believe you. Um, and so when Jesus appeared a second time, this time Thomas was with them and he, he saw the wounds of Jesus and, of course, cried out those uh, famous words, uh, my Lord and my God. So um, now we're into the third time that Jesus appears to his disciples. And the last two times the disciples were in, in the house but now this third time, um, Jesus uh, appears to them outside, all right, in the, uh, by the Sea of Tiberias. And so obviously the, the stay-at-home advisory has been eased a little bit here. <laughs> and um, we don't know how much time has elapsed um, since Jesus last appeared to the disciples. But it's by the Sea of Tiberias. And the Sea of Tiberias, that's actually another name for the Sea of Galilee. It's the same uh, piece of water. And we're told that there were seven of the disciples there, including Peter and Thomas and the sons of Zebedee. So that would have been uh, James and uh, John the Apostle, whose gospel we're reading from, and a few others. So, you know, seven is a very significant number in the Bible. It's the number of perfection. It's often uh, connected with God. Um, is there something significant about there being seven disciples? Possibly, but there's just not enough in the text to sort of uh, figure out if that was deliberate or probably very likely that's what happened. There were seven there, and uh, John is just uh, relating in his gospel what happened. But when you think about it, um, it this must have been a very uh, surreal time for the disciples. They, they must have just been in this very strange place. Um, it's a bit like, you know that feeling you get uh, when you come out of the movie theater? You know, when you've, you've just you've been really immersed in, in a movie for two, two and a half hours and you come out of the movie theater and you step into the parking lot and you're just kind of like, nothing quite feels real for a moment here. You know, you're sort of in this, this strange, surreal sort of uh, uh, feeling. And, you know, for the disciples, it must have been a little bit like that because they'd seen the risen Lord. 
They'd seen him. He twice appeared to them, and yet they're in this sort of no man's land uh, right now, where they're probably thinking, "Okay, so what? Do, what do we do with this?" Um, the fact that Jesus has risen, that he's really alive, is still sinking in for the disciples. And on top of that, so far they haven't been given any any kind of commission uh, by the Lord. So, what's a fisherman to do? Go fishing. Um, they go fishing. They're fishermen. And with Jesus' resurrection, everything has changed, but life still has to go on. Everything has changed, but life still has to go on. They still need to eat. And maybe maybe they're, Peter's like, I'm going fishing because I, I need to take my mind off things right now. I need to have something to do. And his friends are like, well, we'll, we'll come with you. We'll come with you. Yeah, good idea. Um, but everything has changed, but life must still go on. And this this concept of you know, everything has changed, but life goes on, um, is something that we, it's a tension that we live in today as believers. And it's actually a, a theological concept that is often referred to as already, not yet. Already, not yet. And actually what that phrase is, it's, it's a reminder to us, an encouragement that yes, sin and death have been defeated with the death and resurrection of Jesus and that when Jesus became one of us the kingdom of God it broke through into this world and God's plan of redemption is at hand that's the already the already part of already not yet but the not yet part is that um, Jesus is yet to return and consummate all things what does consummate mean it means to complete to make perfect and there's, there's a time Jesus is going to return and do that. But in the meantime, there, there is a waiting, uh, a not yet, that we are living in right now. This already not yet. Um, and right now, we're, we're in a waiting period because we know the Lord's returning. We just don't know when. And, you know, it's funny, but recently my, um, my three-year-old little girl, Dove, um, <laughs> is kind of learning this concept of waiting. And, and she's so cute because, you know, she's like, I don't, I don't like waiting. Waiting's hard. You know, and she said, recently she said, uh, I don't like later. You know, she's like, can we do such a thing? And, you know, uh, Sarah or myself has been, uh, not right now, but maybe later. I don't like later. I don't like later. Waiting is hard. And, you know, waiting's hard for us too, isn't it? As adults, especially in the world that we're living in today, where everything's boom, 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 instant gratification. The idea of waiting for something is, is difficult. Um, but the difference is, yes, we're waiting, but it's a joyful waiting knowing that Jesus has promised he will return. And we know that our God delivers on his promises. Um, we don't know the day, um, but we do know that every day that passes is a day closer to the return of Jesus. So tomorrow will be a day closer than today to Jesus coming back. And there should be sort of real hope and excitement for us in that, that every day we live, every day that passes, we're getting closer to, to the Lord's return. So the disciples, they, they, they go out fishing and they're out, out all night and they catch nothing, nada, zero, zilch. They didn't catch a thing. And so <clears throat> think about this. You can imagine they're probably not in the best of moods, are they, as, as they're returning to the shore, right? They're probably feeling pretty grumpy. They're probably pretty tired. They might be arguing a little bit and they're definitely hungry. Okay, they're going to be tired, grumpy and hungry. Never a good combination for anybody. And as they're coming back to shore, who do they see? But they see somebody 
on the shore and they don't recognize at this point who this person is. Um, there may be something deeper to that in Jesus not supernaturally revealing himself there and then, but it also may have just been a reality of perhaps it was still kind of dark, um, perhaps there was it was misty, you know, who knows exactly why, but they did not recognize that it was Jesus. And so for at this point, all they know is there's somebody on the shore and they have the cheek to say, friends, haven't you any fish? Now, <laughs> we can't tell what kind of inflection Jesus used here, because obviously we're just we're reading the text from Scripture. But I, I wonder if this is actually a little bit of humor from Jesus, if there's a little kind of tongue in cheek uh, where he was maybe he was teasing his friends a little bit, just kind of rubbing in the fact that they hadn't caught anything. Because, of course, this is what you do with friends, isn't it? You, you, it's okay to tease your friends and to kind of make fun and jab a little bit. Because with real friendships, you can do that and nobody's feelings get hurt. And it's interesting because um, as I was, I was studying the, the Greek text for, um, uh, for this, this passage this week, um, the word that Jesus uses there, friends, um, it doesn't strictly mean friends. It actually can either mean children or... The, the Greek word can actually mean, um, it's like a colloquial way of referring to a, gr a group of guys. So, for example, in the US here, we might say, guys, hey guys. British translation might be like, lads, okay? And so, Jesus is calling them lads. And on top of that, the word for fish, so he says, friends, haven't you caught any fish? Well, again, that, that Greek word for fish actually means tidbits or snacks, uh, like a little a little bite to eat. Um, which was often fish in that part of the world. So if I was to offer you a modern-day British translation of what Jesus was actually saying to them, it would probably be something like this. From the shore, he sees him coming ashore and he says, Lads, didn't you catch any grub tonight? And you can imagine their reaction just being like, This guy's going to get it when we get to shore. <laughs> He's going to get a piece of our mind. But this is the first point I want to make for us this morning, is the way that Jesus was talking to his disciples was in a way that showed they were his friends. And I want to make the first point here that Jesus, the risen Lord, is our friend. He considers us his friends. If you've given your life to Jesus and you put your faith and hope in him, we, we are friends of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in in the Gospel of John a little bit earlier, chapter 15, in verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. I've called you friends. And some people might argue, well, you know, that was Jesus talking to his disciples. You know, what about us? Well, Think about it. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are one of his disciples and trying to live out his, his commands in your own life, then yes, this applies to you. You are a friend of God. So you're a friend of God. That's the first thing I want you to take away from this morning. But what happens next in the narrative? Well, <clears throat> Jesus tells them, to cast the net over the right side of the boat. And sure enough, what happens when they do that? They catch this big haul of fish. Why they decided to obey Jesus' instructions, remember at this point, basically a stranger's instructions, um, again, we, we can't know for sure. But I wonder if maybe they, they were getting a little sense of deja vu here, because remember, Jesus had instructed them to do this 
way back in his ministry, if you look into Luke chapter 5, it's basically the same thing. Jesus tells them to throw their nets over and sure enough they, they catch a bunch of fish. So maybe there's, as Jesus is saying this, they're sort of feeling like, wow, we, this sounds like somebody that we know or something that's happened to us before. But either way, they follow his suggestion. And what this shows, yet again, when they catch this big haul of fish, what does it show? It again, it shows Jesus' supernatural power and knowledge and his complete control and sovereignty over nature, over the elements. And that's the, that's the second point that I want us to get to this morning. Because what this reveals is that um, a second aspect of who Jesus is to us. Yes, Jesus is our friend. Absolutely. But not only is Jesus is our friend, he is our Lord. He's our Lord. Remember verse 7 of the passage we read today. says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. It's like the light bulb went off. When they, they knew that catch of fish was a supernatural event, and the moment they did, the, the light bulb went off. It's the Lord. Only the Lord can do this. As, as soon as Jesus' power is displayed, so is the person revealed. And folks, you know, it's something for us to remember that Jesus is always at work in our lives. He's always at work in your life, whether you see it or whether you recognize it. And sometimes, yeah, he'll, he'll reveal his power to us in the ways that he works in our lives. There will be times where we, we just know something that occurred in our life, well, that was definitely the Lord. You know, and we give him rightful thanks and praise. But often he may not reveal how he is working in our lives, um, um, at least not visibly. But we have to remember he is always with us and he is always our friend and he is always our Lord. You know, Peter's reaction is, is, is classic Peter. Um, I, it's, I think it's one of the reasons many of us love Peter. Because there's so many little bits in the Gospels about him overreacting to something or being overzealous. Um, and, you know, him putting his foot in it, putting it, you know, just saying something a little stupid or whatever. And we're just like, yes, go for it, Peter, because <laughs> we can relate to that. And so what does Peter do here? He, he drops everything he's doing, leaves his friends to drag in this big haul of fish, you know, like, thanks, guys. And he jumps into the water to rush ashore. Um, so it's just Peter through and through. But you know, there's an interesting detail here in verse 7, which just immediately caught my eye. And it says this, As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going swimming, I'm taking clothes off. I'm not putting additional clothes on to go swimming. So, so what was going on here? Why would he be putting clothes on to, to jump into the water. Well, basically, it looks like the, the situation was this. It said, for he had taken it off, right? So they'd been working. They were just slogging away hard work. And so probably most likely Peter was kind of stripped down to just some very bare clothes, right? And they're getting on with hard physical work. He sees the Lord, knows it's the Lord. And of course, the Jewish tradition was that you, you didn't greet people with hardly any clothes on or naked, you know, that was disrespectful. So a sign of respect was to clothe yourself as you, as you greeted other people. And so this is what Peter was doing. Again, it's, it's acknowledging his lordship. He's, he's, he's clothing himself because he knows he is greeting, he's, he's greeting royalty. And so it was a sign of respect that Peter was actually putting uh, clothes on. You know, he's come to greet his lord. Um, and not only is Jesus 
Peter's friend, but he is Peter's Lord. As we go on with verse 9, it says, When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, that word for burning coals, um, again, is very significant. It's the Greek word anthrakia. And by the way, if you're always wondering, well, why does he keep going on about the Greek? You know, am I, am I just trying to sound clever and all learned? No, I'm really not. Um, Greek is the original language of the New Testament. That's what it was written in. And often when you study the Greek, you find all kinds of nuances and deeper sort of gems that you, you might miss with just an English translation. And so, you know, my, one of my roles as, as, as pastor is to, is to really study the scriptures and to go deeper than perhaps others are able to because of time or, or whatever. And so when I study the Greek, I'm looking for deeper uh, things here. And here is an example of this. So that word for burning coals is anthrakia. And there's only one other place in the New Testament that we find the same word. So we only find it twice in the whole New Testament. And that other time is in John chapter 18, verse 18. What's happening in John 18? Well, Peter is standing by a fire. There's that word, Anthrochia, outside the high priest's court. And he's about to deny Jesus three times. There's a deliberate significance why we find this word here again in this scripture that we read today. And all I'm going to say is that is a teaser for next week's sermon. Because if you want to know why that's so significant, you're going to have to tune in next week. Okay, but just a little teaser. There's something significant going on here. But Jesus, he has some, he has some fish and bread ready for them. And he says, bring some of the fish you've caught. And he says, come and have breakfast. So this leads us to uh, the third point that I want us to, to know about Jesus. That not only is Jesus our friend, not only is Jesus our Lord, but Jesus is our provider. He is our provider. Because here he is again. What, what is Jesus doing? He's got food ready for them. And he's, he's, he's serving his disciples again, just like when he washed their feet. Now he provides and serves them food. Jesus is our provider. He's always, he's always setting an example for us. And you know, the thing, one of the things I love about Jesus, what I love about our God, is that he never asks us to do something that he hasn't done himself. You know, he leads by example. That's what good leaders do. They don't just say, hey, you do that, you do that, and then never do it themselves. No, Jesus always leads by example. You know, for example, one of the things he promises us in the Christian life is that, you know what, we're going to have trouble in this life. We are going to experience suffering. We are going to experience difficulties. All right, but Jesus went through so deep suffering, so many difficulties, and he's saying, Look, I know how you feel. I've been there, I've had to do it myself. He's not asking us to do something that he has not done himself. And to me, it's one of the reasons I love our Lord so much because he can relate to us, he can relate to all our struggles in life, and he is our provider. Jesus, Jesus will provide for us if we let him. Um, you know, case in point with the disciples, without Jesus, they caught nothing all night. They caught nothing all night. But when they listened to Jesus and they obeyed him, when they did what he told them, then Jesus provided an abundance for them. And it's a lesson for us that sometimes when we try to work in, within our own uh, power, within our own wisdom, we will come up with nothing. 
But if we trust in the Lord and allow him to provide for us, then he will give us just what we need. And he is a God of, of abundance. So what, what have we learned this morning? Again, I want to drive it home one more time. Jesus is our friend. He is our Lord. And he is our provider. And it's just um, one of many reasons, or three of many reasons, uh, why we should be giving him thanks and praise for who he is and what he's done for us. So next week, uh, we are going to be concluding this, this three-week Easter series. And we're going to be looking at um, Jesus reinstating Peter. We're going to find out why that, that word for uh, charcoal fire is significant. And we're going to be looking at Jesus reinstating Peter. Remember, he denied him three times. And this is, this is going to be a great message for those of you who might be struggling with believing that God can forgive you. All right, so if that's something you struggle with, then I really encourage you to, to tune in next week because um, I think this, the scripture and the message will really speak to you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that, yes, you are our friends, but Lord, you are also our Lord and Savior. Uh, that without you, Lord, we can do nothing. And we thank you, Lord, that you are our great provider, that, Lord, you provide for all our needs. You give us all we need. You don't always give us what we want, Lord, but you do give us what we need. And we know in your infinite wisdom there is nothing better than trusting completely in you and knowing, Lord, that you are there for us. I thank you, Lord, that you you do love us so dearly, that you have called us friends, uh, Lord, and that we can relate to you in a way that um, is, is so personal, is so joyful, is so wonderful. And we thank you, Lord, that you have provided the avenue for that relationship through what you did on the cross. Let us never forget, Lord, the great sacrifice you went through so that we might have fellowship with you again. So we praise you, Lord, and we give you thanks. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord.